here we go. And I jumped out and um, I didn't even, I remember I didn't even like check my parachute. I just felt the opening shock. And I was just like, man, what is going on? <laughs> here we go. This is definitely, you know, not a training exercise. Here we go. I, I, I landed, my parachute got caught up on this, um, like this tower. Uh, and it was funny because when I was looking at the the map of the insertion and I knew that tower was there and we suspected enemy, I'm like, well, I was, I was getting out early, so I wasn't going to be near there. But our aircraft was late getting in, so we all got left the aircraft late. And uh, sure enough, I landed on this, uh, <laughs> I landed on this tower. My parachute got hung up on this um, uh, top of the tower, some type of, uh, you know, fighting position. And I was like hanging, like, I was like, yeah, well, but I was just like hanging like a couple of feet off the ground. And I was like, wow, this is not bad. And I, and I, you know, undid my parachute and I dropped to the ground. I'm like, wow, this is pretty good. And then bullets started racking. I'm like, okay, take cover. 911, what's your emergency? Welcome to Life Beyond the Sirens podcast with Brett, Tim, and Stu. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Stories and advice from frontline workers. All right. Well, today we have uh, JB Spizo joining us. Uh, JB has over 30 years of experience in transforming individuals into leaders. Uh, he's a vet of the United States Army with 26 years of service, uh, including 10 years in special operations with the elite 75th Ranger Regiment. And he's been leading the country's most talented soldiers in combat as well. Uh, so he retired at the rank of Sergeant Major, which is the highest and actually most respected non-commissioned officer position in the military. Uh, and after that, he has become extensively well-versed uh, as a leader, trainer, and educator. Uh, he's given team building and leadership training for several collegiate and professional sports teams, including the uh, NFL, NHL clubs, and was actually the first in the NHL to hold the position of Executive Director of Leadership and Cultural Development. I'm actually so excited to talk to him today. Uh, the stories he has about working with the athletes, uh, New York Rangers, Pittsburgh yeah. Penguins, Sidney Crosby, they're all super interesting and just, it's a cool, it's a cool list. I, I think yeah. we could have, I could have talked to him all day. He's just like endless stories and insight. It was unreal. Yeah. And really, really great advice. Yeah. Really like, good advice. Really relatable. All advice for people who are wanting to be leaders, people who are leaders and even yeah. just people who are, you know just getting into a career, he's got a, a ton of information to say. Yeah. He's just like one of those guys that like, you just listen to it. Like when he talks, you just want to listen to yeah. him and like, you can understand why he's a good leader. I don't know what it is about him. Like, he's just like that. You just like, he exudes leadership. And yeah. I mean, it was really relatable, especially for our job because like a lot of our job relies on leadership and people, you know, taking control of things and, you know, relationship building. So he had a lot of great advice and, it was pretty cool to get him on the podcast. Yeah, I think if you implement, like you said, what he has suggested, yeah. or even just take a little tidbit, it's going to make you better in whatever organization you're in. Yeah, like how to have conversations, how to lead by example, like different leadership styles, and relates it to like experience he's had, yeah. which was, I don't know, yeah. Even just how to get your day started off on the right foot to, to get you know the ball rolling in your direction the mm -hmm. right way before you've really even gotten out of bed and, and had your morning coffee. Like I, he's, I like a lot of the advice that he gave on because our job is 
different in a sense of like, you know, when you're younger, like, you know, who's the leader when it's like a coach or something, because there's an obvious age gap and an obvious knowledge gap that yeah. like automatically they're a leader. But with our job, like we're all different ages. We're all different, you know, from backgrounds, walks of life. So like, it was interesting to hear his insight on like how to take a leadership role at different phases of your career and yeah. how to navigate difficult conversations and yeah, like he, he just was a, a real cool guy to pick his brain. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. Today we have J.B. Spizo, a 26-year veteran of the Army Rangers and author of Warrior Leadership, Steps to Success for Leaders on the Ground. Welcome, J.B. Welcome. Thanks for having me, fellas. I uh, appreciate uh, you bringing me on. Yeah, yeah, thanks for, for making time on. for us. It's awesome yeah. that uh, you're you're able to be here, and again, we really appreciate it. Are you yeah. able to tell us just a, a little bit about how you got into the the army and go from there? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, uh, I was a middle class kid from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Played a couple sports. Uh, felt like I was, uh, you know, kind of the uh, best. Uh, third string athlete out there. Uh, I relate to and, that so um, much. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hey, yes. Right. You got to do it. First string and, left out. Right. Third string left out. Yeah. But always worked hard and always had a good attitude. So, and so, uh, you know, my parents uh, worked, worked extra jobs for my sisters to go to college. And I felt like, you know, I wanted to pay for my college. So mm. uh, that that's kind of where it started. I went to the army recruiter and he's, I said, I want the college fund. He's like, great. You go to the, go to the army for four years. I'll pay for four years of college. I'm like, done. Then he goes, what job do you want to do? And I'm like, Oh, I get to pick a job. Like I had, <laughs> I had no idea. And you got to understand, like you tell people this now, like this is before the internet. So they give you like this yeah. big, this big, like four inch phone book. And you're like going through like these jobs. And I'm like, you know, wheeled vehicle mechanic. No, oh my God. no. And so, and so, you know, I'm going through all this thing and the recruiter, like he's flipping through my chart and he's, you know, sees that I was an athlete. He saw my physical fitness scores and he said, uh, do some push-ups." And I jumped down on the floor and I do some push-ups. and he had a pull-up bar across his doorway at his office. Yeah. He's like, do some, do some pull-ups. And I do some pull-ups <laughs> and he's like, all right, why don't you become an army ranger? And I went, <laughs> and I went, great. What do they do? <laughs> I had no idea. And he goes, jump out of airplanes, blow stuff up. I said, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> so no pull-ups uh, and push-ups. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was it. And uh, I had no idea what I was getting into. None. Um, you know, I went to obviously to, you know, I've never really been out of my town in, in Pittsburgh. And next thing I'm at Fort Benning, Georgia, and I go through, you know, basic and AIT infantry school, airborne school. And then I own, and then I end up at this program called, it's, it's changed the name now, but back then it was called RIP, Ranger Indoctrination Program. Okay. And, uh, you know, there's about 130 guys standing there and I'm like looking at all these people. And, you know, I was kind of a scrawny kid then, you know, didn't really know too much about weightlifting and all that. And I looked yeah. at all these guys next to me and I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't even know. And, the, and I'll never forget the senior instructor walked out in front of the formation. He's like, I don't care if any of you make it. And that's when it started. And man, we... Like they just, they just beat us into the ground. And um, the rep training that you did there is yeah. that's because the Rangers is like an elite force. Sure. Similar, I guess, maybe to the Navy SEALs. Is that kind of like a hell week? 
It's like the hell week. Yeah, it's four yeah. weeks long. And, um, it, it, you know, it was, uh, now it's called Ranger Assessment Selection Process. It's called yeah. RASP now. But before then, it was just to try to see, you know, who could make it, who could survive. And, yeah. and each, and I just, you know, I went with the attitude of, well, I'm not going to get cut today. Like if they, if, if they, if they cut me, that's one thing, but I'm not going to get myself cut. What yeah. kind of so, things did they throw at you? Like what was, well, it's just, uh, you know, obviously it's physical fitness. That's mm. where it started. Uh, you know, uh, you know, runs, push ups, pull ups, um, uh, ruck marches, that sort of thing. And then, and then there was some tactical training, uh, put into that land navigation, swims, everything else, like any, anything that could get thrown at us. I remember, I remember we were on like a five mile run. And so you, you had an instructor leading you yeah. and they had a, and they had a fresh instructor at every mile. Oh my so, God. So, so this guy ran you like as fast as he could for a mile. And then he, he changed out and another guy took, <laughs> Oh my God. And, and you know, so now if you imagine the formation, it just spread out over a mile, right? Yeah. Everybody's, and then, and then they're just coming up behind you in a truck. And if you, you, you know, and you get next to the truck, they're like in a truck, you failed in the truck, you failed what? in the truck. Wow. Like failed so, the whole program. So now you're like, now you're like, I got to stay in front of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> so I, listen, I really um, have no idea how, how I made that, but I just went with that attitude and I'm not going to get cut today. And then, you know, I passed earned, um, uh, earned, earned my beret and mm. um, showed up at, second ranger battalion and that's when it started because now yeah. you're the new guy you whatever you want to call it uh, you know i called them different different names back in and but fortunately i had a um extremely talented uh and level-headed uh squad leader who i write about in my book uh his yeah. name was hugh roberts and um he had already been a uh grenader invader he jumped into grenada had a combat patch combat oh, jump wow. star he was senior um, and he didn't let anybody mess with his guys. And if you, you know, if you wanted to mess with his guys, then, you know, you had to mess with him. So yeah. he was, he like was very, very, very good like that. And then, and then it just started. And, and again, I just started my effort, my attitude. And then from there, about um, eight, nine months later, I went to Ranger school, earned my Ranger tab. And now, now you're like a qualified part of the unit, you know, you know, firefighters, you're no longer a probie or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Right, right. Now you got your, now you earned your ranger tab. Now you can start trying to find your way through that. And then it, it actually, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, you must've been so mentally tough at 18. I, I had like no idea. I was drinking from a fire hose. Right? <laughs> and again, I was just like trying not to get cut. Yeah. Um, and then after about two years, you know, I got my ranger tab. I went to a couple of military schools. Uh, I made sergeant. And I'm like, maybe I can do this. Uh, and that's it. And then I just tried to continue to get back. And then fortunately for me, it worked out. It was a great career. You know, yeah. I was, I spent, a, uh, you know, a decade in the ranger regiment, uh, was a drill instructor. I worked at West Point as an instructor there at the military academy, you know, made it to the rank of sergeant major, the highest and most respected non-commissioned officer rank in the military. Mm. And, uh, we went to combat myself several times and just try to continue to, to give back and got my college along the way. So right. yeah. it, it, it all worked out. But if you had asked yeah. me, if you had asked me, you know, I thought I would be in for four years. I was going to go to college. Uh, I was going to teach high school history and coach hockey and baseball. That was kind yeah. of where, where yeah. my thought was. Yeah. Your path the, took a different turn. And the military just worked out for me. It was very good. It was very you good to me. You said you saw combat. That was down I in did. Panama. Is I that saw correct? Panama first time in Panama. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
from what I know, you jumped out of airplanes and you had a, a landing there that maybe went wrong. Well, <laughs> well, it, it, you know, uh, so uh, that General Manuel Noriega, you know, he was the dictator yeah. of, of, of of Panama. And it's funny because, like, you know. The, the U.S. is infamous for, you know, training people that we end up overthrowing, right? Which is <laughs> kind of the same thing that happened with yeah. this guy. We had, we had trained him before uh, in the United States at this, uh, it's called School of the Americas when it was uh, running there at Fort Benning. And he ends up becoming this dictator and, you know, just being like, yeah, you know what? No, nah, you're not using the Panama Canal, even though we build it. He's like, no, nah, you're not using it. And so, <laughs> um, uh, you know, he pushed... Uh, you know, he pushed uh, Bush Sr. there a little too much. So, um, you know, we load up at Fort Benning and we fly around Cuba, if you yeah. can imagine. So we're, we're in, you know, in the C-130, a propeller-driven aircraft, very good aircraft, though. The C-130 Hercules holds about 64, 64 paratroopers, rangers. And, um, you know, we've, you know, we're in our full gear. <laughs> we fly, you know, it's a, you know, eight, nine hours flight. And then we're just like, let's just get out of this airplane. We're ready to get out <laughs> yeah. and exit of the airplane at, um, uh, so normal jump altitudes anywhere between, you know, a thousand to like, like 1500 feet, normal static line parachute, you know, you're hooked yeah. up and static line. So we actually were jumping at uh, a combat altitude. So it was actually 465 feet. Oh so my that's, gosh. Yeah, that's Holy not very hot. That's not very oh hot. Yeah. Gosh. So we we came in right off the, you know, um it Coming was a real yeah. Yeah, Rio Hotto airstrip came right off the um, you know, right from the ocean, right in there. So they don't hear the airplanes. And next thing you know, the doors were opened up and I saw tracers like on the ground. I'm like, oh, here it goes. This is real. Yeah. Tracers and, uh, are like where you're aiming for, basically. Yeah, well, tracers are like um, it's it, it's a bullet fired out of a, a, a of a gun that has some type of propellant on it, so you can kind of see where it's going. Right. If that if that makes sense, right? Yeah. So, yeah, okay. Right. It's like every but, every fifth round has a tracer, so you can you can yeah, see you can, where they're hitting. Yeah, you can set it up, mm -hmm. and mach, machine guns are usually one of five, but you can set it up any way you want in your in your carbine, really. Yeah. So. Anyway, so and I was like, here we go. And I jumped out and um, I didn't even, I remember I didn't even like check my parachute. I just felt the opening shock. And I was just like, man, what is going on? <laughs> here we go. This is definitely, you know, not a training exercise. Here we go. No. Holy. And uh, yeah. And um, I, I, I landed, my parachute got caught up on this, um, like this tower. Uh, and it was funny because when I was looking at the, the map of the insertion and I knew that tower was there and we suspected enemy, I'm like, well, I was, good. I was getting out early, so I wasn't going to be near there, but you, know, our, our aircraft was late getting in. So we all got left the aircraft late. And, uh, sure enough, I landed on this, uh, <laughs> I landed on this tower. My parachute got hung up on this, um, uh, top of the tower, some type of, uh, you know, fighting okay. position. Yeah. And I was like hanging, you like. You're I was just like a sitting duck. Yeah, well, but I was just like hanging like a couple feet off the ground. And I was like, wow, this is not bad. And I and I, you know, undid my parachute and I dropped to the ground. I'm like, wow, this is pretty good. And then bullets started rocking. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <take over."> <laughs> so <laughs> so oh, nothing like um, an intro like that. Intro like that. But you know, it's um it's funny because uh, you know, everything, you know, you just like you gentlemen, right? And what you do, you just trust your training. Yeah. And it went, yeah, and, it went and it went back to your training and, and my training just kicked in and everything kind of went, you know, 
pretty well after that. We moved on, a, moved on a couple targets. We set up a, a blocking position, you know, assembly area before that. And, uh, you know, it went, you know, relatively smooth for, you know, big combat action. And we, you yeah. know, we over, overwhelmed the enemy there. Thank goodness. Um, and, and took them, took them there. So, you know, part of that is, is just, uh, you, you know, trusting, trusting your training yeah. and, and, and doing all that. So I find yeah. when, when shit kind of hits the fan, it just goes into autopilot of like, Oh yeah. Like it's just like muscle memory almost. Muscle memory. Like, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's just, it is like what they say where you don't rise to the occasion. You kind of fall to your level of training. And sure. did you yeah. find that was true for you in that situation? Yeah, absolutely. There was a time. It's funny. We talked about it afterwards is uh, like we were engaging, engaging the enemy and it was like a short gunfight. And, you know, I, I put my weapon back on safe. I just took my rifle off uh, my carbine offline and I immediately changed my magazine. My weapon was still hot, but I immediately changed my magazine. And I didn't even realize it till we were done. Like the next day when we got back to thing, I, I was counting all my rounds. I'm like, why do I only have 12 rounds in this thing? I'm like, Oh crap. I changed my mag. Like, so, so automatic. Yeah. It was like, there was a lull in fire. So put, put a fresh mag in. I, yeah. I stored the other one. And that's funny. I flipped it the other way. Cause you know, when you have fresh mag, you know, is, is or rounds up, you know, dead mag or is, 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 is down. Yeah. So I even did it the right way. I'm like, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's kind of crazy to me at like 18 years old, you just walked in as sort of a way to get into school and then thrust into this army ranger position where like people like talk to us and are just kind of like, man, you're crazy for wanting to go into somewhere that's on fire. And you don't really know that you're calm in it until you're in it. And that being like, I'm assuming some of your first experience, was that like your holy shit moment? Or were you like, this is what I'm built for. This is, this is okay with me. Like bullets whizzing by your head and you just reload an ammo. Or was it like, I just got to survive. Holy yeah, no, I think, I, I, you know, I think the initial, like, uh, you, you know, again, I, I think there was a little bit of shock of like not checking my parachute, but I felt the opening shock. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm not, I'm falling at what I normally fall at. Right. Uh, but then when I hit the ground, I like, I, you know, I put it all together and it was funny because like, I didn't want to be the last one to the assembly area. And I was <laughs> like, and it felt like it was taking me forever to get there. And I was the second <laughs> one, you know? <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> You know, because like in the Rangers, there's always, you guys have it too. Like, you know, last one in the assembly area, case of beer, you know, you, don't <laughs> <Yeah>. wanna, <laughs> you, you guys have it. Like after, after a mission, that's like, okay, let's see who's buying beer. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, you make a mistake at work. You got to buy ice cream. Yeah. yeah. So the whole thing. So, uh, and that was kind of my part. I was like, oh, did you find funny. yourself like overwhelmed with stress or did you find yourself kind of like zone into it? You know, I think what happened is it's, it's, you know, you, you, you get in that zone and right. You talk about like athletes that get in the zone all the time, right? Yeah. They're this, mm-hmm. they're calm this. Well, what's that all come from? That comes from, you know, training, fitness, nutrition, trusting your instincts, you know, having good faith, like putting it all together. That zone's actually a real thing, but it takes so many other requirements to get in there, you know, yeah. mental discipline, physical discipline, um, all, all of your practice, your techniques, you know, your sleep, everything else to put you, put you into that zone. So I, I think, you know, for me, you know, I was in the, you know, after nine 11, you know, combat action was, was, you know, more consistent. Well, it wasn't very consistent back then. It didn't have a lot of it. So I think I was like ready to test it. Okay. I've been training for all these years. Let's, let's put it into action. So yeah. do you think uh, being in there and, and seeing some action or combat, do you think that helped 
uh, solidify your leadership in the future as far as like, I've been there, I've seen it. And that kind of gave you a little bit more confidence or helped as opposed to not seeing anything. And now you're teaching guys and you haven't really done it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely helped me, you know, when I went, uh, you know, back to the Rangers as a platoon sergeant, we were getting ready to go to Haiti and do that mission. Um, you know, obviously in Afghanistan as a sergeant major, I thought I brought like calm to the chaos. Like some people were yeah. like, oh my gosh, like, you know, what, 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 what's happening? Did that bullet just hit our gun truck? Yeah, it did. We're okay. Like, I think it brought this, you know, you didn't, um, you know, you, you, you just know what it sounds like. You know what it smells like, right? You know what it feels like. Mm -hmm, yeah. And so it it just it just puts you in a in a in a better sense. It's the same thing what you do, you know, when yeah, you're doing find, it. It's like, yeah. I find the 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 leaders or captains um that I like the most are the ones that are like calm in the chaos like that. Like it just it rubs off on everyone when you just yeah. have a sense of like stability in the crew, like in the chaos where it's just like, it's like, a, it's an anchor. It's like a rock that, yeah. you know, yeah. like looking around that if there's something going on, you've got that person there that you're like, okay, I like well, with training and trusting them. It's, and sometimes that comes you. naturally to people. And sometimes yeah. it's just like built into them. Like I'm sure JB, you, you learned on the front lines about how to handle that where I don't like some people are just natural leaders and some people are, trained leaders and you know well i think leadership you know i i actually think that like everybody has some inherent amount of leadership in them and it's all part of that like training and learning process right i don't think or because if i think if leadership was like natural you know the military would have a way of testing it and they would test you when yeah. you're six years old and they'd be like okay yeah. he's a natural leader <laughs> set, him, set him to the west point right but I think you know, I'll give you an example. So West Point does the, you know, uh, an immense and detailed selection of young men and women to come to the academy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they come four or five years, depending if they go to the prep school first. And, you know, I remember as, as, as cadre there, like, you, you know, you have this person for say five years, four years or five years. And, and then at the end, you know, you make them a Lieutenant. You're like, oh, man, I hope I did enough. Right. Like, right. because it's all part of that learning right. process of, of, of learning that and developing that. I think that's important. And the other thing I always tell young leaders is, is, and you guys have talked about is bring calm to the chaos. Everything is chaotic enough. Like mm. bring, like, don't bring more chaos to it. Bring calm to the chaos. Like, you know, Hey, put your machine gun here, hold this position here, like speak clearly, like bring, bring that. And and I've always, you know, tried to recognize that in leaders that were above me, um, you know, general Mike Farader, I I'll never forget on a mission, you know, this, this, this young army captain, just, just, just controlling the battle, you know, in, in his calm approach to controlling the battle, like, you know, didn't even have his, you know, had, had his weapon slung down, just was controlling the battle. That's what you want to do. That's how you want to bring it. Because again, there's a, there's enough madness going on out right. there. You know, you have to, as a leader kind of has to bring this detailed organization, organization to it. What, you know? what are some things that people can do? Uh, just everyday people or people in the fire service, police, whatever. Mm -hmm. What are some things that they can do to slow down the, the situation? and really take control of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, start with, start with, you know, your own personal breathing technique. Like I find myself getting a little stressed out. You know, I just take three slow in 
breaths in and out. And I, and I pump my fist. Sometimes people don't even see it, but I pump my fist like down by my side just to like calm myself down and, 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 and bring that in. That's the first thing you do is just take, take a second, take a pause. Right. Yeah. I mean, you guys do it. You just don't dash into a burning building. The building's on fire. You know, people are in there, but you know, when you show up, you're, you take in a second to assess what's happening. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you, and then you, and then you assault, you do your, do your thing. It's the same thing for anything. Like take a minute, yeah. you know, we're so quick to like, Oh, I got a text. Oh, blah, blah, I got an email. Oh, I respond back. Everything's like, you know, hyperspeed Snapchat. Oh, like what are this stuff? Like sometimes you just gotta, you know, you gotta take a second. Yeah. Uh, to know what's happening, especially if you, if you continue to, 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 to plan and, and, and be, and, and, and be knowledgeable of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I find like when a call comes in and it's, it's an unknown, like say you're, you get toned out to a structure fire immediately. Like you think the worst, like you think this is going to be some sort of crazy, you know, are people trapped? And, and I find instantly like my heart rate goes up. I find yeah. like, I get like, not like a racing. I just, it's hard to describe, but like, I find the one thing that instantly helps me is breathing. I like notice that like my mind starts racing a little bit and I just got to like kind of bring myself back down and like focus on small jobs that I have to do. Cause every position on a truck, whether you're driving or you're sitting hydrant or nozzle or whatever, everyone has like an initial responsibility for uh, a call that we go yeah. to. And like, it's easy for me to think about the Mm-hmm. the bigger problem when I can focus on the smaller practical things that I have to focus on that will help yeah. that situation. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah. you know, relying on a good leader to make the right decision. Sure. And, 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 you know, whether it's the military or police, firefighter, EMS, like, you know, you're all wearing gear, right? So what's, what's that gear do that gear draw, you know, you know, forces your shoulders up and your neck down. And what happens is you, you know, you cut this carotid artery off, which is, you know, blood to your brain. Right. Yeah. That's why you should always like take a second, you know, cause you're wearing all this on you and, and you get that turtle effect. Well, what happens when you do that? Like if you just do that right now, all of a sudden, you know, you're cutting blood off and it hurts your thought process. So you, you have to stand up straight, you know, mm-hmm. you have to, you have to work on your posture and that's a big yeah. thing. You're going into a meeting, you know, you might have some young executives getting ready to give a big briefing and they're like, Oh, you know, like, Hey, stand up straight, <laughs> work on your posture, right? Let that blood flow to the brain. Yeah. yeah. It's like step one of staying calm is like controlling your own, like, you know, um, body mechanics and yeah. breathing and, but it is uh, like the breathing. It, it's so true that it takes like 10 deep breaths. And then like you're saying, everything starts to come in, come into focus a little clear. bit more. It's, you know, you, the heart rate starts to drop down yeah, again. You can work through it a little bit yeah. more. So touching base more on your, um, army experience or military experience with, with firefighting or emergency response. Like we are, we go do a lot of things that, you know, are very like humans aren't supposed to deal with every single day or, you know, have traumatic experiences thrust upon them. Like, it's just, it's hard to like mentally work through sometimes. So I'm just wondering, like, being in live action combat, is there anything that sticks with you or did, like, what do you do to kind of help yourself through that? You know, it's always, you, you have to find some type of plan for yourself to, you know, re-engage, you know, your brain in a healthy way. Um, you know, I found myself when I was in Afghanistan in 2008, you know, I was there for an entire year. Um, I journaled every single day. But then the end of that, the day I was leaving, I went up to the, you know, the burn barrel where they burn classified documents. And I threw my journal in there. I was like, enough. 
<laughs> right. So I found that I found that, you know, the journaling, but sometimes it can, it can overwhelm you. So you have yeah. to find, you have to find yourself some, your healthy space uh, because we often suffer from it. You know, we suffer from PTS, you know, I suffer from it. You guys probably have it because you see people in these emotional states that don't understand. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like, you know, it, 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 it's probably as much, if not worse for your group is because, you know, most of the people there, like, they just go about their day. They go to Starbucks, they go shopping, they go to school. And, and then, you know, it's a, you know, it's a traumatic event. Yeah. Um, combat, you can kind of get yourself, you know, game ready for it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. You can, you can put yourself in a position where you can, you can be game ready. The problem is, is it always has to be on. And that's what, that's what gets you. And that's why now they, you know, they tried to, you know, shorten the deployment cycles to, they've done a lot of studies on it. Like, you know, about 120 days is the most you can go with that switch on. Your body can still right. take up with the switches on. That's why a lot of yeah. special operations have limited that. But, you know, you know, being on deployment an entire year, not coming home, not seeing your family, the whole thing, it just, it just, it crushes, it crushes you, it crushes you. And, and I, and, and, you know, this might be, you know, there's different opinions out there. And I know sometimes military people, they say, oh, well, this person did this, or I was a gunfighter and this is this, and, and this person wasn't, listen, combat changes everybody. I don't care what you did. I don't care if you were, I don't care if you were, you know, you're making stew or you're changing a wheel or you're doing paperwork or you're a gunfighter, right? Combat changes everybody. Mm-hmm. End of story. I don't want to hear any differences about like, you know, this, or I did this, like, you go to combat, you are, you are physically and mentally changed because yeah. it's, 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 it's different. Um, so back to your original question is I try to put myself in a healthy space every day to start my day. Uh, so I take, um, I take 10 minutes of my time on reflection, uh, some type of spiritual reading or healthy reading. And then I, and then I get my day started. So yeah. I do that. Every, I do that every single day. I try and I, you know, I, uh, it's, it's so easy to like go right to the black mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Boom. First thing pick up and then your day's going, okay. Yeah. I got, you know, 47 new emails <laughs> and it, <clears throat> it could go. And so you it hits you with the stress right away. Hits you with too much stress right away. You have to start your day, right? I don't go to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's how I find myself to put myself in a healthy balance. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and I need to do it every single day. Yeah. That's great advice. Seems to be a common theme with like people with uh, yeah. highly motivated and, you know, in leadership roles that they take care of themselves first thing in the morning, which I certainly don't. I, <laughs> I just raw dog a coffee on an empty stomach and grab my phone. And yeah, know. it's, I feel like it's an easy habit to get into and yep. But it takes a lot of work to just do it. Yeah. You know? Well, I'll tell you a little story about uh, General Wayne Downing. Now he's passed, but he was a four-star general and a Ranger legend, and he was the the very first Special Operations Commander. So the very first U.S. SOCOM Commander. He was a, a four-star, reported right to the right to the president, and um, his aide told us the story one time. It, it uh, in his calendar he had. Uh, 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes in the afternoon. And it was, it, it was GPT general personal time, meaning he was a general general personal time. And in the morning for that 30 minutes, he would do some type of physical activity. Yeah. And then the, and in the afternoon, he would have a cup of coffee, put his feet up on his desk and, and he would read and, and he would do some healthy reading or reflection for himself. And, and, and he had standing orders. He's like, there's only two people that can inter- interrupt me. He's like, my wife, <laughs> and he goes, and the president, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, 
And if it's the president, we better be going to war. So, <laughs> so but you see what he did? He purposely protected yeah. that time. Yeah. You know, purposely protected that time, you know, 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the afternoon to, you know, to, to re-engage, re-engage himself. That's so important for leaders to do. You know, it's, it's, it's so important to do. listen. I, you know, when I worked in the NHL, you know, we had a coach, he was a great guy, but like the, the guy had a stroke while he was coaching because he was, you know, he was watching so much video and video and he never stopped. And, it, yeah. you know, and he was, you know, and again, trying to find an edge, and that's mm-hmm. great. But you drive yourself crazy. It's all, it's unhealthy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I just, it's just, it just, you can, you can absolutely drive yourself crazy. Being a uh, more of a junior, I've only been on five or six years onto the fire service, but one day, obviously aspirations to move up to acting captain, captain. Sure. What are some things that people in my shoes can be doing to become a better leader? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Well, first thing you need need to do is continue to educate yourself, right? And you could do that through simple readings. You're obviously probably doing any technical classes you can go to your sign up for, but continue to 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 read, continue yeah. to to in, in, you know enroll. There's online courses that are free. It's funny. So you know, I go and I speak at these seminars, right? And I'm glad to do it. And it's great. And you know, say my say my speaking times, you know, two to three. Let's just say. Uh, at a, at a seminar, I'm actually speaking this weekend at that's at, at South by Southwest in Austin. But let's okay. just say my speaking time is two to three, right? And it starts at nine. Yeah, I go at nine and I sit in the back with my notebook and I take notes. And it's funny, I was in one of these seminars and a lady walked up. She's like, "Are you JB?" She's like, "Yeah." She's like, "You don't speak till two. I go, "I know." She's like, do you need anything? No, I'm fine. And I'm like, I listen to everybody else. I'm like, wow, that yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Right. Like, it's not like, Oh, I know everything. I take notes <laughs> and I, and I learn it. I sit through the entire thing and I go the whole day because guess what? There's something that you can pick up mm-hmm. uh, to motivate yourself. But the simplest thing you can do is pick up some reading, start reading. I try mm-hmm. to read, you know, I try to do 12 books a year, a book a month. Right. And I take recommendations for, if you don't have to do that, you can do half of that, you know, but, uh, and, and listen, I read like 10 pages, one time, 20 pages, one time, 30 pages, one time, five pages, one time, <laughs> you know, if I'm on a flight, I, you know, I read, I try to use that, um, for, for he- healthy reading, pick up, pick up books. Um, I, I have a, I have a, a, a list of books. I'll be glad to share with you if you'd like. Absolutely. And, and then that's why my book, you know, my book is funny. It's, um, you know, it started off like 350 pages and it's only, uh, uh, you know, 136 because my editor was like, let's make it a two hour read. Let's make it where a business person can pick it up and read it on a two hour plane flight. I'm yeah. like, awesome. Right. right. So, and people were like, wow, your book's perfect. Yeah. Right. Without, without theory. So you said you worked with the NHL teams. That's kind of what I want to get into yeah. as well. Okay. I know at West Point you had uh, the New York Rangers come up there, Michael Nylander, uh, Lundquist, and Yager. Kevin Weeks, Yarmer Yager. Yeah, they had a pretty, they had a pretty so big why, group. Why did they Darius, even come Darius Kasparitis? Well, it's funny because um, they were they were picked to finish uh, dead last. There were 30 teams there. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one article had them 29th, one article had them 30. So they said, oh, they're going to come to West Point and do a, um, uh, and do the preseason camp. And uh, the Army hockey coach at the time, uh, Rob Riley was like, hey, 
Rangers want to come up here and do something. I'm like, what do they want to do? He's like, I don't know, something military. So I went down to see coach Tom Rennie then, you know, ended up being, uh, you know, hockey Canada CEO, the whole thing. What a great man, very bright. And I was like, what do you guys want to do? He goes, well, we, you know, we can't get people hurt, but we want to replicate some type of military training. I'm like, okay. And so I got the gang together and, you know, you know, the boys are like, we're going to run hockey players through stuff. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh my gosh, let's see how we, you know, let's hope we don't kill anybody. Put the autograph we, book we, away. God. Yeah. We did this, we did this night mission, like five things through the swamp, like repelling, carrying boats, like, and it was absolutely amazing. And the, and the Rangers ended up like making the playoffs that year. Oh yeah. And, and you want to talk about just like teamwork and commitment and, and Yarmir Yager lost his shoe like hour one of a five hour exercise and did the rest of the day with one shoe. Oh, gosh. One shoe. Every, just, every story I hear like, about that guy is just like, like, insane. like, one, like one, one shoe. Yeah. He lost his shoe in the swamp. And he's, he, it was like, it was like, it was like hilarious. And every single person there worked hard, gave effort. And um, it was, uh, you know, that's kind of started the, you know, the team building parts of it. But then afterwards there, then, you know, we gave them a class on resilience, mental toughness, yeah. that sort of thing. Was and I found, and I found that they, you know, professional athletes, like if they could get something to give themselves an edge, they're in. Of course. You know, yeah. They're in. If they can, if they can get something. Um, I remember I was doing work for the Pittsburgh Penguins and uh, I was actually on the road with them and I wrote something on the dry race board. Um like uh, before practice. And then I just talked to him about it briefly. It was like, you know, 15 minutes in and I went to erase it. And Sidney Crosby was like, whoa, whoa, JB, don't erase that. And I'm like, okay. And he went up and he like took pictures of it with his phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm like, well, Sidney Crosby's taking pictures with his, with his phone. That must be okay. Must have That's, something yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You were just saying about mental toughness. Like I hear that term all the time. What is yeah. mental toughness? Like well, how, how would you define it? I think it would be like the ability to like push yourself through the uncomfortable aspects of something. Yeah. Being yeah. comfortable, being uncomfortable kind of thing. Yeah. Or like, re like resiliency. It's, it's being resilient, but instead of like that physical resilience where you just, yeah, just being like, able to bounce back all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Something that pushes you to a point where you want to quit and you decide mentally not to. Yeah. 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 It, 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 it it's, it's the ability to perform at the highest level of your talent and experience in any circumstance. That's mm -hmm. what it is. Right. So, so if you think about it, it takes all that resilience is the bounce back and it's, it's putting yourself in, into that where, you know, this moment isn't too big. It's just a moment. Right. Yeah. And you see like athletes that can kind of do that, um, that, that can put themselves in that position, you know, firefighters, EMS, police, military, put yourself. So, so you, you push yourself through your training and your experience. And that's where it comes from. Mental toughness is all a learned trait. So yeah. if you're listening to this podcast and you feel like you're not mentally tough enough, you just haven't learned it yet. Mm -hmm. And, and oh, by the way, guess what? You can learn mental toughness and you can lose mental toughness. How do you okay? learn it? Well, you learn it through practice of yeah. being prepared for what you do. Like, for example, if I came and, and I think I'm a pretty mentally tough person, but if I came and did a week with you guys, I'd probably be like, oh, oh hang on a second here, right? Like, 
This is all new things to me. Yeah. Correct. So you, so you learn it by putting yourself in uncomfortable positions and, you know, you take your comfort zone and you expand your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. People just want to stay in their comfort zone. They want to go to the same coffee shop. They want to go to the same place to shop. They want to go to the same, 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 same. Why? Because they know it, but you stay in that comfort zone. You actually decrease it. When you step out of it, it becomes, it becomes even, even, even bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I was just wondering uh, with, so much experience with NHL teams. Um, what were you impressed by, by their captains that the team selected? Because I feel like anyone on any given team that's gotten to that point in their career mm-hmm. has leadership ability or capabilities. And just wondering like what, like a Sidney Crosby sets himself apart from the other people in a leadership style um, mm-hmm. that like you were impressed by. Well, first like Sidney Crosby, Rick Nash, some of the other captains I work with, number one, quiet leaders. Okay. Which you don't have to be the vocal leader. You don't have to be the encourager all the time, right? You have to know what to say. Uh, but it all, all starts with lead by example. That's what it starts with. So when you talk about, you know, first one on the ice, last one off the ice, it's usually, it's usually the, the leaders, the captains, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're trying to show that they they will go that, that little bit extra. Also, they're not afraid to teach others. See, that's the thing. Cause sometimes you get in this job, you're like, man, I can't like show this guy because he might pass me up. Um, which is a big issue, for example, with college teams, right? Because college teams have a little bit of a rite of passage, you know, seniors, juniors, sophomores, freshmen, freshmen, pick up the pucks, fill the water bottles. Why are the freshmen doing it? That's the fire service too. You know, what, you know, why are the, but, and, 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 and okay. So I ask you this then, if that person, if that newbie, if that probie, whatever, that, that rookie, whatever you call it, that person can help you win can help you survive, can help you make money if you're in business. The sooner you bring that person into the fold, the better off you're going to be. Now, I agree. does that does that mean that person like picks their bunk and picks their stall? Maybe not. But it means that you bring them into the fold. Listen, when I was a Ranger platoon sergeant and you know, we had guys that passed rip that I went through, and I was yeah. already senior, sergeant first class. And, you know, we get guys in, three guys in, and I could see the the new sergeants, the young sergeants are like, oh, I got these guys. I'm like, whoa, oh, whoa yeah. what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, they already passed selection. Yeah. They already passed yeah. it. I need their gun in the fight because guess what? That might be the gun that allows me to come home to my family. Yeah. Right? But we always want to, we always want to like reselect. Right? That is so uh, true. We always want to... Yeah, we always want to reselect. It's one of my pet peeves. Like everybody got selected to be here. Like, sure, they might be junior, but like they're knowledgeable. There's they have skills. Like, let's bring them in and like make them comfortable rather than like, you know, making them feel uncomfortable or like almost like they're part of your team. Like you have to bring them in. Yeah, you can still razz them and make sure they make the coffee, but yeah, Yeah, but exactly. But but it but it but shouldn't be some type of stigma where they you know they're doing everything it's funny i went to work do work for a college team and i was actually on the ice with them during practice and everything else uh division one college team really good really great program yeah. and um <clears throat> and i was just there just to assess and be that and i gave a couple sessions everything else and after practice they all left and they're like they're like freshmen pick up the pucks so i told all the freshmen i'm like hey you guys go i got it and i went i started picking up the pucks and then you know the the locker room overlooks the rink and all of a sudden somebody said JB's out there picking all the pucks up. So guess what? All the seniors came back out and they're picking yeah. up the pucks. And I was like, 
you know, or it's like, here's the best one. Like seniors eat first, June, yeah. then June. I'm like, why does it matter where you eat? And, and oh, by the way, the youngest people should eat first. And they're like, why? I'm like, because you can miss a meal. Like, yeah. it's, you know, this whole thing, like leaders eat last. That came from the military because, you know, if, if, if they're going to run out of food, that machine gunner, that 19 year old machine gunner, he needs to eat. Mm -hmm. I can miss, I can miss a meal. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I am mentally capable of missing a meal. Right. And that's that whole part about that. Like, and, and, you know, especially in like college athletics and professional, professional teams, they're not going to run out of food, but like, who cares what people eat? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I'm seeing a lot of similarities in the way that you're speaking about the military and with the fire service. And I, I remember like when I was new, like certain things that happened to me that, you know, I made mental note of, and like now moving forward in my career, I've been there 10 years now. Like I am conscious of like, including the younger people and things that we're doing. And mm -hmm. just because like that, like it, it was like a weird thing where like, you know, probies eat last they're down last they're up first, which is like, you know, just kind of like, what the unwritten rule is and like i just thought like that was kind of silly like it's obviously you want to show yourself and like clean up and like you know make a good name for yourself but also like mm -hmm. it's just food like can we just all eat at the same time like the same yeah. speed like yeah you know it's just some sort of yeah. thing like things like that like I, i'm just not on board with in a, in a way like i just like yeah. to make everyone feel included Exactly. And, and here's the thing is that people think like when you change that, like when I was a young ranger, I got haste. And when I was in charge, we didn't do any of that. Like, listen, was, was I hard as hell? Of course, you know, you messed up. Let's go. You're running, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. You're running, you're rocking. You're, you're going to, you're going to pay the piper, but, but we're going to do it. And we're going to, we're going to do it as a, as, as a group and understand. And the other thing is, and I, when I was a sergeant major, no one was up before me and no one went to bed before me. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they always saw me and I was always in the gym too. Like, uh, like it didn't matter. I come off patrol. I was exhausted. I'm like going to the gym because they saw me in the gym. So you had to yeah. lead it. You have to lead that. But here's the thing. When you change things, people think, oh, it's getting easier. No, I still had standards of excellence. I still made the bar high. And guess what? If you didn't, if you didn't make the bar, guess what I did? I raised it. Didn't make it yeah. easier. And so, so you can do that. Guess what? People want to be a part of that. People want to be a part of elite organizations. People want to feel a part of a team, yeah. right? They want to be a part of a brotherhood and a sisterhood, right? They want to be a part that where people are going to like watch each other's back and take care of each other, right? And that's, and that's part of, you know, being a, you know, just that's part of like just being a great human being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. have, have you ever had to be in a situation where you were in a leadership role and you were, you had people on your team that were more senior than you were like it, maybe in rank or age. Like for example, like I, I just went through the acting captain process, but I, I was unsuccessful, but I've been in uh, our job now for 10 years. And like one of the thoughts going into it was like how weird of a dynamic it would be that all of a sudden I'm the leader or the, you know, the person in charge of people that have been there, you know, 15, 20, 25 yeah. years. And like, just like, how would you navigate that dynamic? Yeah. And it's a great question, but uh, I just want to tell you when you take this captain's exam again, you will be successful. So <laughs> this is good, good experience for, you, you know, here's the thing, you know, West Point purposely has a age requirement when you can start, like you cannot yeah. be 22 years old on your first day because they don't want an old officer where an OCS, you can go to officer's candidate school or ROTC and get commissioned and you can be older right up to, I think 35, but, um, 
but West Point purposely does that. So a lot of times, like these young West Point grads or graduate and they go out to their platoon, their platoons, like, you know, they have a platoon sergeant, E7, that's 35 years old. They got squad leaders that are 30 years old. Yeah. They've all been to combat. And now this young man or woman is in charge of this, this group. Well, you earn their respect by the position that you hold. And, mm. and it's, you have to be specific with what's happening because you're right. And, and as you get younger, there's still going to be, you know, older firefighters, older police officers that just, you know, maybe didn't want the dynamic of being in a leadership position. So they have to come to grips with this too. So it's a two way street. You have to give that respect, but you're also asking for that respect back. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's very, it's very, very simple. I'll tell you a story and I, I, I'll send them this clip when, when, when this is over. So uh, Colonel Lance Kohler, uh, West Point graduate, great guy. He was my platoon leader when I was in a platoon sergeant Ranger Regiment. Now we had had a gap where we didn't have a, a platoon leader for about three months. And so I was serving both roles uh, and we were doing a mission for the secretary of the army. Um, and it was, um, <clears throat> it was a live fire exercise, rotary wing, uh, infill, taking down targets, all live fire. It was awesome. Did it day and night. And I remember uh, there was a dual breach going on. So our platoon was breaching yeah. one part of the compound and our sister platoon was breaching the other part. So all the machine guns were in the support position. So the machine guns were firing and I could hear the machine guns slowing down. Now, our weapon squad leader was running that group and he, he was calling me. He's like, we're getting low. He was purposely slowing me. Our breach was set and their sister breach wasn't. So I had a decision to make, but now I had a new platoon leader. Wasn't yeah. my decision. It was his. Right. And I said, blow the breach. Okay. He, the platoon leader didn't want the breach blown. He was right. I said, blow the breach. Let's go. And we went. And so then we load up on aircraft, the PL and half the platoons on one Chinook. I'm with the platoon sergeant, the other half platoons, the other Chinook. And coming back, I'm just like, man, I screwed that up. And yeah. I immediately came off and I walked up to him and I said, sir, my fault never happened again. Yeah. And he said to me, I'm so glad you said that because I didn't want to have to fire you. <laughs> and it, yeah. And he, and he was right. Yeah. Right. That was his call. That was Lieutenant's call. Yeah. Right. Right. And I don't know even if I ever told that story. So it's a, <laughs> it's a good, but, I, but I remember it like it was yesterday because, and, and I had the experience to understand what was happening yeah. and everything else. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and when you think about it, like I could have been right and he could have been right. Like both could have been right. It's just mm -hmm. the way it goes. I think that's like a good uh, indicator of what a good leader is. Somebody that's willing to be accountable. Cause I find that yeah. like, I have no problem saying I screwed up. Like yeah. I make mistakes at work and the easy, like the easiest way to handle it. I, I don't know if it's forever. I, I just take accountability for it. I'm like, yep, people are going to make fun of me. People are going to do this. I'm going to have to buy some ice cream, whatever. Yeah. But like, yeah. it's just, it, there's no like hidden, like innuendos about it. It's just like, I know I screwed up. Everyone knows I screwed yeah. up. Like just take accountability. It's my for bad. It. Exactly. My it's bad. Better what? than somebody trying to skirt around 100%. it. 100%. Hundred percent. Just like okay, you just made it worse for yourself. Just and take you can, accountability yeah. for it. You can fix. You can fix most problems with way it. quicker when you just own up to it yep. and you take that accountability and you say, okay, like this is the mistake I've made. Like let's move forward from it. I, I, mean, I did it once. It's, it's not gonna. It's not gonna happen again. And then, like, great. Now, now we move on. 
And, and what happens is, is people are so afraid of making a mistake because yeah. they're in these environments that are like zero defect, zero talk. Like, okay, course, you know yeah. what? If, if you want to do that, you're just going to be mediocre. You're going to be yeah. mediocre the, the entire way. You're never going to be great. You're going to shy away from responsibility. Shy away. And then, and then when they make a mistake, they're like, they go like this. I didn't do it. This I did. They're ready yeah. to think. Um, a friend of mine, Chris Lee, uh, he's a political strategist and advisor to politicians and he tells them all the time. He goes, you make a mistake. Just say, I screwed up. I screwed up. They're like, what? Oh, like you're human. You made a mistake. Well, yeah. Nobody wants okay? to have that vulnerability to be like, yep, no, I made it, a mistake. They want to just have this image of like, nah, I'm perfect. I'm no, perfect. I, if if yeah. someone's perfect, you feel like you can't approach them when you do have a problem yeah. because it's like, okay, well, they're, they're not going to be able to relate. They don't yeah. know what this is like. Oh, it puts a wall up for like that yeah. conversation of like, Hey, well, how do I navigate this now? Like, you know, but where if somebody's like accountable, accountable and open, it's a lot easier to be yeah. like, "Hey, you know," it's like, "Yep, nope, I know. Don't worry." Like, I mean, you still don't want to be making the same mistake over yeah. and over and over again. You want to show that you've learned from it, but but it's and, and exactly, it's part of that is is like that learning and developing. And remember, yeah. you are continuing to make yourself better as a leader. You know, like I as a young leader, I was like, you know, break only in case of war. I was like punching through ob objectives and then you mm -hmm. learn this experience right and 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 you see that and even even if you are a young lieutenant or a young captain you can still make mistakes and as you get mm -hmm. older you know you get some of that experience it's funny because you know a lot of the young business people i work with like they they want to they want to climb that ladder quick they're like you know see that guy you know, he he's in that corner office, that C-suite office. That's where I need to be. I'm like, yeah, it took him 19 years to get there. Yeah. He's like, he's like, but I'm smarter on this. I said, you are. I said, listen, climb the ladder as fast as you want, but you can't skip a rung. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Can't skip a rung. Yeah. Climb it as fast as you want. A lot of people. And all of like a sudden they're like, oh, okay. Right. Like, so that's yeah. all a part of learning and developing yourself accountability is a, a big thing like you said so that's one error is there a, is there any other common errors that you see in leaders that could be easily avoided well you know obviously you you know the simple things of uh, you know when anybody that lie cheats or steals and you don't want to tolerate any of that right they got to have a person that's a that's that that has that ability to come through and and just and just tell the truth not make it about them because yeah. it's easy to wrap yourself in this bubble of narcissism i got to tell you like i i have some clients that are like the most successful people in their fields and you know they pay me to be their coach because they know that they can get better and it's funny like yeah. when i start working with somebody i'm like you're already an expert at what you do. I said, I might just chip off a little bit of the rough edges. And sometimes that's all people need. Yeah. Right. And same thing with me. I have a good friend, John Maloney. He's my mentor. Okay. Uh, you, you know, he was, uh, you know, one of the big four bows and successful consultant, like he chips rough edges off of me. Right. So we, we all need that to continue yeah. to, 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 to get better. So, and, and, and here's the thing. It's like, you know, when I tell professional athletes all, all the time, like, just be a good dude. Like, yeah, it's, be, it's, it's, it's simple. The easiest you know, when advice, I, yeah. When I, listen, when I was working in NHL and, they, you know, they're getting ready for a trade for a guy, and they'd be like, hey, JB, can you find out about this kid? You know who I called? I called the trainer and the equipment manager. Yeah. I'm like, tell me about this guy. Oh, my God, JB, best guy. Or, huh, well, you know, <laughs> that's how you know right there. 
like who you're getting in character. Cause yeah. you know what? You can fool it on the outside, but you can't fool it on the inside. No. So true. You know that, right? You can fool yeah. it on the outside. There's these guys on, on, you know, uh, on, on TV, former athletes. And they're like, Oh, they're so great. This is everybody thinks they're great. And you ask one of their teammates, they're like worst guy ever, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or best guy ever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you can't, you, you know, you can't fool that group that, you know, you're getting dressed with every day. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a question about, um, so sometimes like there's a lack of motivation or something in a team that you're on. How do you motivate people that are resistance, like resistant to change or initiative or. Great question. Well, here's the first thing is people don't fear change. They fear loss. So anytime you're changing something, that person's like, Oh man, how's that affect me? Yeah. Think about it. Does it affect my job? Does it affect my promotion? Does it affect my overtime? Does it affect my pension? Does it affect my personal time? See? So anytime you're making a change or an adjustment, you as a leader, you have to over-communicate that. Mm, You have to over-communicate that. Like, you know, I saw the Rangers go through, you know, a bunch of changes from, you know, being the, you know, post-Vietnam, you know, recon type unit to assault unit to special operations. And there were guys that just couldn't deal with that. Well, we don't do this anymore. We don't do that anymore. No, we don't. But now we need to do this. So either get on board with it or we're going to keep going. Right. So that's part of it. So you have to, you have to continue to, you know, adapt yourself to what Mm -hmm. things are happening. But here's the other thing is when people think when you make change, they think you're going to lower your standards. Right. Oh, man, it's going to be easier. This, that. No, no, no. Time out. That's not what I'm saying. Our standards are still going to be high, but we have to adjust to what we do now. And that's part of it. So when people are resistant, you have to over communicate that to them, mm-hmm. continue to over communicate. And guess what? Generally, they'll make the decision for themselves if they're in or out. Yeah. Right. Right. You're going to have some people who are like, you know what? Not for me. Okay. Well, I tried. So converse or on that same tangent, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that like I struggle with. Um, is difficult conversations and just approaching people about conflict. It's it's just like it's always awkward for everyone, and some people are naturally good at bringing up tough issues. And yeah. I've always generally struggled with it. I'm getting a lot better. So, like as a potential future leader, mm-hmm. say I'm met with resistance like that. What are your tips to bring forward, like a you know a conflict to somebody or sure. a difficult conversation? Yeah, yeah, great question. And and believe it or not, I am. I have issues with giving diff- bad news. We all like to give good news, right? Mm-hmm. And and I have, uh, of course, if somebody does something where they get themselves cut, it's easy. This is what you did. You're out, right? Like mm-hmm. that's different. But somebody that you know has the ability to keep going and maybe do better. So, uh, you know, believe it or not, one of the simplest techniques, the Oreo cookie, good, bad, good. Start with the good, tell them what they need to work on. And with the good, you know, just, just, just real simple, you know, Tim, I love what you're doing. You know, you come to work every day, you know, you're ready to go. You're one of the best in the house. Like, I love all that. I said, but there is something you need to work on and it is this and be specific, Yeah, you know, A, B, C, and then end with it. But you know what? Love your attitude. You got a lot of head in front of you. Good, 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 bad, good. You know, don't be wishy-washy about it. Right. Mm-hmm. I tell coaches all the time, if they take a kid out of the lineup, that kid better know why he's out of the lineup. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then tell that, tell that kid specifically what he or she needs to do before, and they can get back in the lineup. And then when they do, you're a man, you're a person of your word. 
Right. Everybody so, just wants the truth as bad as it is, you know, like, yeah. Um, so I was wondering, like, are you ever worried about altering relationships in that sense where like, cause that's one of the things that it's kind of hinders me is like, you know, uh, it's been good, but like, ah, I don't really want to bring this up. Cause like they might get pissed or them, you know, like, are yeah. you ever worried about like changing a relationship or are you just like, I got to tell them this if they like it or not? Well, you, you're, you're doing both people an injustice if you don't, you know, and, 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 and think through it. You know, if you have to send somebody something and, and clearly specifically outline it and just say, Hey, this is what I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is what I see. And sometimes you might have a person like give you the, you know, oh, this is what you see. Well, blah, blah, and then outline everything else. And, and, and there might be some of that that you're like, okay, you know what? I actually did miss that. Right. But what you're trying to do is, is, is outline that. Usually, you know, um, another great quote for you bad news doesn't get better with time. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, like just, just, just give it to them. Bad news yeah. does not get better with time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another story that uh, a little bit off, uh, off topic here, but I, I know you were part of the draft process as far as like sure. um, yeah. being involved in the um, interview process. Oh, you were looking what? for so cool. different leadership yeah. qualities in the young, young players. Like, can you tell us just a little bit about that and what it was like? Yeah, I actually was at uh, 10, 10 uh, drafts. So, oh, wow. which was, which was oh, great. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, amazing process. Uh, you know, in the NHL too, unlike, you know, the NFL, uh, NHL, uh, major league baseball is, is they, you know, you're, you're, you're picking young, choosing young athletes. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times you're choosing on, you know, the, where their ceiling is the potential of that. Um, all I did was I was just in the interview process, you know, the scouts, you know, picked them usually over a week. I'd interview anywhere between, you know, 60 and, and, and 80 young men for the NHL for, for the team that I would be consulting for. And I just, I just asked personal character questions, nothing difficult, not about their game, everything else. And I was just trying to measure their emotional quotient, their EQ, you know, what they, what they can bring, you know, tell me about your daily life, that sort of thing. And you just try to get, you have the kids are like, they're ready for like the question. I'm like this defenseman, I'm like (laughs) that defenseman, you know? Um, And, and, and like, uh, for example, I remember when, you know, we interviewed um, a young Russian player and he had his um, interpreter there. And it was yeah. the year that the uh, the Russians got thrown out of the world juniors because they had performance enhancing drugs. And the scouts were like, you know, this. and finally I asked him, I said, I said, just answer me truthfully. He's like, well, I'm like, why did you take it? He's like, it was simple. You either took it or you didn't play. And I was like, <laughs> I believe him. Like, yeah. he's, <laughs> like he's a 17 year old kid. Yeah. You know, Soviet Russia, steroids do you (laughs) like, like take the pills or don't play like, you know, so like, what do you, and then, and you know, some of the scouts were like, that's a bunch of crap. I would have told them, no, I'm like, okay, like, seriously, like get out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to tell that like, so, so part of that is, is, is just understanding people, but um, I don't know if a team you follow, but uh, David Pasternak, who just, you know, he just signed a big deal with the Bruins, right? I think I heard of him. Yeah, I think he's pretty good. Yeah, you think I heard him, right? Well, (laughs) I remember remember one time at, at the Combine. So I went to the gym that night afterwards. I'm in the gym and there's David Pasternak in the gym working out. Doesn't know who I am. I'm lifting, working out. He's working out. And his buddies are like, come on, we got to go. Come on. He's like, he's like, I'll be, I'll meet you guys there. He's like, and they're like, come on, come on, let's go. We're going. He's like, 
guys, I'll meet you there. And the guys left and this kid's still working out, doing his workout. Gym's empty, right? I'm like, give anyone a gym. They're at the combine. They're like, this is great. You know, they're going out with their agents, everything else. And this kid's there. Well, guess what? He just signed a big deal, you know? So, so it's all those. And and I put that in my notes, right? I would get a cup of coffee. I would sit down, you know, I'd sit down in the lobby and I would just watch what was happening. That's all. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it's funny you mentioned Michael Nylander. Michael, what such a wonderful human being. Well, his son was at the one draft I was at. And I gave him, when I interviewed him, I gave him this little exercise to fill out, right? They had to tell me who they were going to climb Mount Everest and tell me who they were going to climb with, yeah. right? And uh, his agent told him not to do it. Or one of his friends. I don't actually what? think it was his agent. Because yeah. his agent's a good, his agent's actually a Green Beret officer. So it must have been one of his friends. So he was telling his dad about it. He says, Yeah, I got this piece of homework to do. And he's like, by this like JB guy. And his dad's like, JB Spizo? He's like, do the homework and get it back to him. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid found my and the kid found my room and it was slid underneath my door. It was oh. hilarious. So, so I was I- like, I had a question that kind of relates to that. Like I've always wondered, like, is there like a huge ego with a lot of these kids coming into the NHL? Like they, they're basically mini celebrities at like seven, 17 years old. And like how many of these, these kids getting drafted are you like, they're honestly good people. And like, how many are you just like, this guy needs some work. Yeah. I would tell you that the majority, high majority, high nineties are just good human beings, right? They really are. They're great. They're great young men. Of course, they've been caught a little bit. They have the agents that coddle them that help Mm -hmm. them on the way. But, but, but most of them, no. Um, years ago, I did a camp for Bobby Orr in, in, um, in Massachusetts. Bobby Orr is running his camp. And it was all his, you know, because he's the or hockey group. So he's an yeah. agent. So he had all of his, you know, he had Zach Cassian, Zach Bogosian. He had some top line players there. And I remember I was like saying something and like one kid wasn't listening. And like Bobby Orr stopped and walked up and said, listen to me, whatever this guy says, you need to listen to. He goes, because your ability is going to get you to the NHL, but your character will keep you there. I was like. Oh, I'm using that again, like Whoa. Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr <laughs> saying that. That's you know, probably the, you know the second best player of all time. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, best defenseman of all time, definitely. Yeah. Saying top that, time, you know. top all time quoter apparently. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he, you know, you know, he's like your ability to get you the National Hockey League, but your character keep you there, and and so um, all those things that that you do, it's it's about that. I, I'll just tell you, like I always. You know, when I was in OCS or even a drill instructor at West Point, if a, if a young man or woman was a good dude, like you just felt like you give him a chance, right? You give him a chance. Like if you, <laughs> if, if you're, if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a prick, an arrogant prick at something, you better be really damn good. Yeah. Like, yeah. And guess Egos, what? Your win- and your window is small. Yeah. Egos like, are hard to be around. They're pretty, your toxic. window is, your window is small. Yeah. So, you know, so those are all things that you just have to continue to work on. And so that's it, you know, be a good human being every day, get better, develop, you know, put some healthy reading, some spiritual context in your, in, in your life, mm-hmm. uh, put your family first, which I didn't always do. Okay. So I learned a lot of mistakes over, over life. So mm-hmm. put your family first and then continue to continue to be, be better, you know, leave, leave your mark in a, by making people better every single day. Anybody yeah. calls me, it doesn't matter if they're my client or we're my client, or you guys call me, you call me, I'm going to pick the phone up. 
you know, hey, I'm going into a meeting. I need five minutes of something. Let me tell you, but I'll give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so cool. that's that that's it. I love and, it. It's um, like simple, effective advice. Like exactly. nothing overcomplicated, just easy to follow. No, yeah. that's awesome. I think that's yeah. a great way to to end the podcast today. And again, I just want to thank you so much for yeah. your time. I think everybody's gonna get a lot out of this. Yeah. Is there anything that you wanted to leave people with, like a last thought or how people can reach out to you? Or- sure. Well, you can find me on Instagram at jbspiso or jbsleaders.com on my website, my book, uh, Warrior Leadership. You can find it on Amazon. It's it's uh, priced right. It's a good read. And uh, if you need anything, you know, every single day, you just want to keep climbing. That's what we do. Let's keep moving forward.